Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Thank you, Matthew Arder. Welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. This week, Matthew and I welcome back James Brendlinger. This will be his fifth appearance on the show. If you recall, James is an educator, a theater owner, a producer, director, a music DJ, and more recently, he has opened not one, but two vintage stores. Uh, another case of a slight bit of a career change due to COVID, and uh, I'm really uh, looking forward to you hearing uh, James's story. So James and Matthew and I discuss Season 8, Episode 6, The Little Chill, which had an original air date of November 8th of 1986. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with James Brendlinger. Here he is back on the show for his fifth visit, surrounded by an immense, massive drama library from his very own theater in Oviedo, Florida. It's James Brandlinger. Thank you for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. <laughs> so on my first episode with you, it was a first season episode called Dope. And I, it was the last episode with the... Uh, the full squad of a hundred girls or whatever it was that first season. And I asked you if I could please revisit this when the little chill came around their reunion episode. So thank you for remembering after all these many years. (laughs) And many years it is. I can, if you had said how many times has James been on the podcast, I would have said, well, minimum half a dozen, probably more like 10, I would think, but this is only the fifth. That was the first one, yes, was dope. But we also did Bought and Sold from season two. That was the Countess Calvé Zsa Zsa Gabor, where James so beautifully uh, introduced the new game show, Ava or Zsa Zsa. And uh, then you did The Big Fight, season four, episode nine, when we were trying to spin off Bates Academy again, still uh, not succeeding. And then uh, the most recent one was season five, episode 19, Star at Langley. That was August of 2020. I can't believe it's it's been a year and a half. I, I don't know how I haven't thought of you as we've gotten into over our heads and all this stuff. I'm, I'm apologizing. I haven't brought you back sooner, but I'm so glad I did at least have the wherewithal to remember you for this one. Well, thank you for having me. And I think this is my first one with Matthew as co-host. Yes. And Matthew, you and James uh, have not previously met before this, have you? Only in character. (laughs) It's just like we've said before, David, it's such a small incestuous town, Mm -hmm. isn't it? But I'm sure we've met. And I just, I was probably been drinking or something (laughs) when we met. and, And I don't remember but i mean now i see your face i'm like oh of course that's yeah that guy okay (laughs) yeah he's orlando famous yes so um wow the little chill season eight episode six from november 8th of 1986 of course a wordplay on the big chill the 
uh, movie, but we have so much to talk about. So, so much to talk about. I have a couple of rage strokes in my future. I'm apologizing. <laughs> no, not that kind of a stroke, Matthew. Damn it. <laughs> But uh, I've, uh, woo, I, I'm not sure. I think I broke my keyboard. I was typing with such force, like, rrr, rrr, David smash, David mad. I have rage strokes a lot. <clears throat> um, but usually it's like to very rough pornography <laughs> or something. Constantly, you know, like how you have hate sex with somebody, like I would hate fuck Justin Bieber. <laughs> it's like I just hate stroke my own dick, you know? It's, <laughs> Okay. Well then, let's get to this uh, as far as let's do some nuts and bolts. The episode was written by Phil Doran and Douglas Arango. These are two writers that we have never heard of or seen from before. Two writers that have never watched an episode of The Facts of Life. <laughs> Very true. I would not doubt that one bit. Um, they seem to be partners, according to their IMDb pages. They're pretty much identical, so they clearly work as a team. Uh, this is the first of five episodes that they will be writing for the show, and they also have just arrived onto the series as producers and will continue moving up the ladder uh, into supervising producer roles between now through the end of the series. But previously, before this, they wrote for the Tim Conway Comedy Hour, the Bob Newhart Show, All in the Family, and Sanford. And previously, they had written and produced Carter Country, Jennifer Slept Here, and Too Close for Comfort. And they will move on after Facts of Life to write and produce Who's the Boss and Sister, Sister. The director of this episode, not John Boab. Here's an anomaly. Everything's been John Boab, but this is one of the few that is directed by Valentine Mayer. And uh, when we last discussed him, it was uh, The Candidate. That was the movie, that was the episode we did with Tim Williams with Blair's terrible hair and the kangaroo suit. Uh, that was the first one that he had directed and we discovered Valentine is a man known as Val. And so this episode, previously he had done The Candidate was his first. This is the second of six shows that he will direct for The Facts of Life. And that will be also between now and the end of the entire series, well into the end of season nine. So James, are you ready for it? The moment we put our guest on the spot and ask you to provide the one to two sentence TV guide synopsis of this episode, The Little Chill, James Brendlinger, go. Facts of Life girls have a high school union with their long lost comrades from season one, each of whom has a two minute secret to unveil during their evening together. And everybody makes Joe feel bad. <laughs> it, it, yeah. Yeah. No reason. Interesting you added that as an afterthought. <laughs> yeah. And everyone makes Joe, yeah, an afterthought. Yeah, there's a lot of afterthought in this episode, and I'm not sure any actual during or pre-thought went into this. Uh, from the writing, it is, it, I said, it is infuriating for how the little details, you know, I'll be like, well, you know, six years ago, Mrs. Garrett said one sentence that contradicts this other sentence that we never hear about again. This is the, the epic proportions to which, there is no show Bible happening here. 
Um, let's just let's just get to it, because if I'm going to have a hemorrhage and a heart attack and pop a few veins out of my forehead, I at least want to do it in an organized manner from beginning to end. Oh, I can't wait to watch your head turn purple and explode all over. Are we talking about the same thing, David? OK, moving on. What? We start. Yeah, James is literally face palming right now. OK, you've you've made the guest feel uncomfortable, Matthew. My work here is done. <laughs> so we begin in the living room and uh, there are preparations afoot. Remember back in the day, particularly in season one, I remember commenting how every episode had to have some type of preparation or an event coming up. We had uh, the fall festival, the award ceremony for Blair's art. We had career day where they were having an assembly in the lobby of the girls' dorm. Remember those days? You always need a hand-painted banner. Gotta do the banner. That's, a, that's not a TV trope. That is a TV requirement. And uh, I'm, that's, that's one thing I'm not mad at. That's like, fine. Give us something visual to tell us what is going on here. And uh, gentlemen, somebody, what does that banner say? Welcome back, Nancy, Sue Ann, and Cindy. Yeah, and on the back it said, fuck you, Molly. <laughs> these are three names we have not heard in a very very long time nancy sue ann and cindy from season one and a little bit into season two as well so it's actually been six years since we have seen or heard from these characters and uh, as preparations are afoot andy comes in all excited because he's going to actually get to meet cindy baker a real cover girl in the flesh and the others are like, oh, well, before she was a high fashion cover girl model, she was just plain old Cindy when she was going to school at Eastland. She, she, she's so famous now, you know? <laughs> but the occasion of this reunion of the girls coming back, the precipitating event as it were, is that Nancy is going to be getting married. And she's the first one of their brood, of their peers, who is going to be tying the knot. And uh, even Beverly Ann is excited for the girls because they have so many high school memories that they're going to be able to relive. And uh, then Beverly Ann talks about, uh, I remember so many things from my high school reunion. And we've been struggling, James, up to this point to figure out what does Cloris Leachman do and why is she here? We talked about before, Beverly Ann becomes the storyteller not unlike any of the women on the Golden Girls. Well, Blair actually says, well, Beverly Ann, is there a chance we're going to hear about it? And Beverly Ann's like, oh, all right. And let's sit down and plant ourselves. And she starts to tell the story of her high school reunion. <sighs> it's fine. It's basically the, 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 the end of the story was going to her high school reunion. She was nervous, but she felt great when she left but it's because she lied and told everyone she was a nuclear physicist. Ha ha. Uh, yeah, so uh, th these writers are not the Golden Girls writers, clearly, as far as feeding her stories. And um, what are your thoughts at this point on Beverly Ann James, as someone who is really uh, a very devoted fan of the series? How did you feel about the arrival of Beverly Ann? I wasn't crazy about her constant portrayal as someone who's an irritant or a loser or doesn't fit in. 
like maybe an episode or two like that would have been okay. When they used to get new girls on Three's Company, there'd always be a transition episode where she's awkward. And then later she mm-hmm. fits right. And I guess their their tactic was that she's going to be the awkward one who never fits in. Where it pays off is, you know, the writing isn't super strong, but later in the episode, she has a scene with Joe where you're like, this is why you're here. She has so much heart and so much, uh, I mean, just acting chops. And so does Joe that the two of them, I mean, they're the best actors on the show by far, in my opinion. And when they get to do scenes like that, you can see this is why she's here. This is why she has so much value. Um, Story-wise, like these ladies own their own business and probably do not need a chaperone at this point. So of course it's a little extraneous, but that was, that was how things were set up before. So they wanted to, to keep it going. And at the beginning of the episode, I just, I love Blair so much. But her attitude toward Beverly Ann, I was like, as someone who is now Beverly Ann's age, I would have slapped her. Like, no, you're not going to hear the story right now. <laughs> By the way, where's yeah. your rent? Or whatever. I just, I didn't like the disrespect and I didn't find any of it funny. Um, yeah, you're on toilet cleaning duty, by the way, Blair. I, I saw a little bit of a ring. Get up there. <laughs> Later in the episode, yes. it seems like, uh, it's like, this is why Cloris Leachman is here. We love having you on, James, because you're so positive. You see the good <laughs> in things, and ah, that's that's not something we're we're used to here on the pod. So, um, anyway, no sooner does Beverly Ann tell her story, ding dong, the girls arrive, and we are once again reunited with Julie Pikarski as Sue Ann, Julie Ann Haddock as Cindy, and Felice Shachter or Shachter. I don't know how you pronounce her name. You'd think I would know by now as Nancy and uh, they're, they're looking good. They've, they've been 80s eyes as well with some bigger hair. Uh, Cindy's got the sort of tousled loose cowboy hat thing, you know, cause she's a big fashion model. She's dressing stylishly with that cowboy hat. Uh, Sue Ann is wearing an insanely boxy double breasted skirt suit with a scarf over one shoulder that was so 1980s as far as a 22 year old girl looking like she's 45. That's right, spot on. And uh, Felice looks great. Nancy, she's just, she always had so much hair, the long dark brown hair. Well, now she's got, uh, she's got some layers. She's got some feathering going on. It's framing her face nicely. Uh, they're all looking pretty good, honestly. So they come through the door. They're gorgeous. I mean, they were, Beautiful young girls. They're beautiful young women. It is the 80s. Nancy, mm-hmm. I know Felice Schachter is listening. She's probably listening multiple times to hear everything we say about her. I apologize. Hi, Felice. Hi, Felice. <laughs> I love her. And I, she got screwed over at the beginning of the series. It was supposed to be her show. However, I don't know if you ever saw Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. But, you know, they have a mm-hmm. reunion and one of the characters has, is transgender. It felt mm-hmm. like that might be the reveal is that the role of Nancy is now being played by a very handsome man. It's just that whole look was very 80s drag queen, I thought, or Delta Burke, one or the other. Um, that, <laughs> I don't know if that was real hair or a wig, uh, but everything they did to her, I thought was um, on the masculine side um, as she came through the door. Now, later, I didn't have that feeling as much, but I, I hadn't watched this in... I think I did a complete rewatch maybe eight years ago. 
I hadn't seen it since. And when she came through the door, I actually burst out laughing at the 80sness of it, but also just the beautiful drag queen of it. I just, I thought that someone styled her in such a way that she could have been a, a Delta Burke themed drag queen, which if anybody wants to do that, go for it. When she first walked in, she was the one that I looked at and I thought she looks like Joan Cusack from Working Girl. Yes. Oh my God. Good call. Yes. Mm -hmm. And yes. But I was, I mean, I wasn't mad at it because I take a more whimsical look towards the (laughs) 80s than David does. Let me tell you that, James. (laughs) My thing is that it's funny how you attribute masculinity to look. I'm like, on this show, they could have buzzed their hair off. They still wouldn't have looked masculine next to Joe with the mullet and how Joe is dressing. Uh, These are not my favorite Joe years as far as the styling goes. It's, I think, a little harsh, but. It's the 80s. Hmm. I mean, that was. <laughs> it is. And it's it's unmistakably the 80s. It is of its time, regardless of yeah. whether it's the good, the bad or the ugly. And James, um, we have discovered through our friendship with the costume designer that this was all of Nancy McKeon's design. Hmm. Like nobody was styling her. She styled, wow. basically styled herself. So I loved her high school look so much. I just thought it. She was just a gorgeous teen in those high school years. And mm-hmm. I, the harsher, I didn't like the harsher look, but you know, the, the roles <laughs> she specialized since then are cops and detectives. And, you know, she's always the, the take charge woman. I think you know, she recognized that herself and was styling it back then, I guess. The term that uh, Diana Eden has used many times is uh, she was in a serious tomboy phase. <laughs> and uh, I remember my sister going through that a little bit when she was in high school where she did cut her hair a little bit shorter and was uh, not into, you know, the really really frou-frou stuff like the cheerleaders and all that. Um, so the beginning of the demise of this episode in my esteem is that the girls comment on how Tootie has grown and they do... The, the general gist of the conversation, and we haven't even gotten to Joe yet, the general gist of the conversation is, oh my God, guys, we haven't seen you since season one. You know, we share all these high school memories together, but oh, it's been so long. And it's like, okay, I believe I commented at the end of season four, the graduation episode, why didn't they bring these back? Because these three obviously are supposed to be the same year as Blair and Joe. They all graduated at the same time. Molly was younger, probably closer to Tootie's age. Uh, but the thing is, even though we haven't seen them, they all should have still been in school together. They're all Eastland graduates. They should have known each other through the end of season four. So this should only be like three or three and a half years since they've seen each other, not like six the way it is for us, the viewing audience. And with that, it's like all their nostalgia is for ninth grade. They keep saying that first year, like, like who has nostalgia yeah. for ninth grade specifically and ignores when you got your driver's license, when you went to the prom and all the other actual exciting things they would have done while they were in high school that Joe would have totally been there for, by the way. Um, we're just yeah. really frustrating in the writing department. I get what they're trying to do, but it, it just doesn't fit. And they're trying to make it fit. That they, they've said that first year. We've heard that. I think they say that more than once in this episode, that first year. So even though we know Eastland Which, starts them as young as sixth grade, the yeah. assumption, presumption here is that 
uh, Blair, Sue Ann, Cindy, and Nancy all happened to come into Eastland that first season, that same year, as high school freshmen. We're going to have to ignore the backdoor pilot from Different Strokes when Blair was the sassy talking smoking girl uh, before the season, before the series got picked up. But so it's like they all kind of came in at the same time, which is possible, certainly possible. And that would make it even more special that they shared this chunk of time together in their lives. So that I wasn't that mad at it. It's just the fact that (laughs) their only memories, like you say, their only memories are from season one. Yeah, And I think Blair in season one had actually said establishing things about being there previous years to be Harvest Queen or whatever. Like she wasn't. A I think student. you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you, you're totally right. Yeah. In in the pilot, it's like, well, Blair gets Harvest Queen every year. How in the world would little lesbian Cindy be the one? Nah, nah, nah. So, uh, yeah, I think you're right. There are things that contradict us. <laughs> I watched the Waltons. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever watched that show, but. Um, uh, no. Well, there's a show and it's called the Waltons and it's a big family and. <laughs> You know, my family watched that, like we watched Facts of It was every week. You didn't miss it. And uh, when they started having reunion shows, they would say things that were just impossible all the time. And I think they just thought mm-hmm. the audience loves us so much, they'll forgive us anything. And I felt like that with this Facts of Life episode. For those of us who watched every week, you're like, I watched you interact with Joe multiple times for multiple seasons. Why is Joe looking perturbed not to be introduced to these three girls. They introduce Beverly Ann instead and yeah. Joe shrinks into the doorway because it's an insult. Like, no, you went to school with these girls. You fed mm-hmm. them in the cafeteria. We, we saw it. So I think because there wasn't DVD back then and because they just thought we would forgive it because it's a fun idea to have a little chill, I don't forgive it. Not no, like- no, absolutely not. That is, you, you bring up to me the greatest infraction of this episode where as they are, hi, hello, welcome back, you look amazing stuff with the girls. Natalie says, we want to introduce you to someone who's an important part of our lives now. And the shot is a shot of Joe looking on expectantly, like waiting for them. Can I be introduced to your friends? And then the twist is, Beverly Ann Stickle, this is Mrs. Garrett's sister. And then Joe kind of <laughs> retreats uncomfortably, like, oh, they weren't talking about me. <laughs> and it's like, wait, 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 what? But like you said, season two, there are episodes where all of the girls, Molly Ringwald included, where all of these girls appeared in season two episodes alongside Joe, and they graduated at the same time. Blair walked down, got her diploma with Joe. These girls were clearly uh, somewhere else in the lineup. But to make it that Joe has never met them, then there is a, well, you guys remember Joe, right? This is, these are the girls. And there's kind of a, oh yeah, hey, hi, how are you? But it's like a, you remember Joe, you met her that one time as you were packing up your lockers to leave this sitcom and she was coming in. It's literally like they forget there's a world within the TV show. They're only thinking of the world of backstage. And we want a reunion with Tumpy, the ghost of Cynthia, home run Helen, Helen Hunts. Bring them all back if we're going to do this, but don't pretend we have- Bink and Tumpy. 
I still think that was a missed backdoor pilot opportunity. Bink Parker, he's such a weenie. He and Tumpy <laughs> together. She would have just been getting baked, would have been laying there, brain dead on the couch, and he would have been sitting there talking about uh, the medical ramifications of prolonged marijuana use throughout blah, blah. So this infraction, this, uh, this, this burning of the show Bible moment, this is probably the most upsetting thing of this episode in that the entire conflict of this episode is, for all intents and purposes, it's a fun reunion. Bring back the girls from season one. We could bring in some clips. We have to write less. Yay. But they had to create this little bit of tension that Joe feels left out. And they could have accomplished the same story by simply having the girls assume that Joe is still the same person she was in high school. She's antisocial. She's difficult. She's got her motorcycle. Having no idea that she's going to college. She's studying social work. She wants to work with children or you know, troubled teens or whatever, and has a whole lot more to offer. And then that ties in later when she actually does help uh, Sue Ann, you know, reaches out in a sensitive way. And Sue Ann could say, wow, I, you know, I never realized you were someone who could understand other people and their problems. Thank you. And they, everything they did could have, could have all tied together without breaking the rules of the show. I think this is the biggest, um, the biggest example in the entire series of messing up the continuity. I can't think of anything more um, totally Thank off. you. I'm very happy that you agree with me that I would say also, yeah, for all the uh, other smaller show Bible moments here, this one is, is the doozy of all doozies. And, and that's a great fix. That's a good suggestion as far as, you know, we've all changed, we've all changed. That could have been the final Sue Ann and Joe moment should have said, gee, all we've been talking about is how much we've changed in the time we knew each other. It never occurred to us that, you know, or, you know, Joe, you were such a strong person and such a strong presence and you were always so confident and secure. It never occurred to us that you had any changing to do. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. I had thought another potential fix for the episode could have been, we have so many fun memories when we lived in the dorm together. Joe, you don't understand it because you were here only 10 minutes before we all ended up on probation and stuck doing cafeteria duty. But oh, the times when we all got to hang out in the dorms, those were really some of our favorite memories. And then Joe could feel left out in the sense of, oh, well, glad you all had such a good time before I came into the picture. Maybe. I think I like your yep. fix better than mine, to be, to be truly honest. They just had multiple stupid lines where someone says, where were you that first year? And somebody else says, so this is the famous Joe we've heard about. And all of that was taken. Yeah, yeah we've heard that. about, we've heard about. We could have wrapped oh, up. Oh my God. Why they're leaving her out and just moved on. Yeah. <laughs> but Joe says she has a term paper due. She quickly realizes that all of this reminiscing and catching up was not going to include her. So she says, I get a term paper due. She's going to the library. Great meeting you all, though. Meeting. <laughs> meeting you all, though. And they're all like, yeah, absolutely, stranger. <laughs> and then the, here's the talk that kind of starts alluding to where your fix would come into play, James. Uh, Nancy says, that's the famous Joe we've heard about. I was expecting a wildcat. And Natalie says, ah, she's been domesticated. We still keep a whip and chair handy just in case. Ha ha. But this does lead into the first flashback clip that we get. You know, we got Nancy and Cindy and Sue Ann. Let's have a flashback to when we first met Joe. 
Okay, why the fuck not? <laughs> because, David, this stuff was not in heavy rerun. So the people watching this episode in 1986 are having to remember 1980, for God's sake. An episode, I mean, again, I'm always, James, I'm always the one reminding that it's an 80s fucking sitcom that they never thought would be watched 40 years later by two queens. <laughs> Let's not forget that fucking Golden Girls had What's-His-Guts play two different characters that both dated Rose. Like, <laughs> I mean, fucking Arnie or Miles, who are you? And yeah. then we find out he's been in the fucking witness protection program at the end of the ep- at the end of the series for god's sake so he's not even miles so <laughs> i mean the fact that they went back and had to show a little bit like oh this is what we're talking about kids in case you don't remember joe hasn't always looked like this and you know yeah. i don't know i don't know i wasn't mad at it it's, well it's- had they done you know if they take james's notes that we're going to send back in the time machine this clip absolutely will remain but it should be not we were expecting this weird, but it, it should be like, wow, she looks different than I expected. Remember what she was like when we first then then that would kind of be the thing to begin the well, she looks different, but I'm sure she's still, uh, you know, a tough dykey lesbian type, right? Then we have another show Bible thing that's driving me crazy. If you keep listening to the show, if you've been listening to the latest episodes, James, Tootie says, look what I dug up in the attic. <laughs> dug up in the attic the charred yearbook yeah a chart exactly are you talking somehow about it their, didn't burn up in the inferno and and there is no more attic anymore 2d 2d the attic is now your bedroom where you and natalie sleep it's like i don't know what there was to dig up and as i said before they've only lived here since the beginning of season five there's no time for the attic to accumulate shit and get covered in dust and Edna's grandmother's sewing machine, which we dealt with a couple of years ago, her antique non-electric sewing machine. It was like, what, what is happening? But um, anyhow, Judy says, I found our Eastland yearbook. Um, who's, who's Eastland yearbook? Judy, Judy, you graduated five months ago. It's like, you mean Blair and the girls, their yearbook in the attic, but buried in the attic. Because when you're four years out of high school, that yearbook is buried. It's nowhere to be found. Tootie would be in the yearbook. So it was, it could have very well been her yearbook, our Eastland yearbook. Why wouldn't she be in it? I forget. You know what? You're right. I forget that. See, underclassmen were not in our yearbooks because I went to a very big high school. So oh. did I. We had our fucking uh, the whole four years where everybody was in it. But how big was your school? My school was much bigger than yours, David. You want to see how big my school is? How big was it? It was big and fat and old. <laughs> the point is, she set those down and she goes, look, I found our yearbook. And I wrote down which Joe is in. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yes, it's true. Yeah. My high school was about 5,000 students. So um, our graduating class usually fluctuated somewhere between 800 and 1,200. And uh, I, we would have a very small year. My year was 822, I think, was my graduating class. So 
they did not, even in the tiniest little boxes, underclassmen, if you were in the yearbook, it's just because it was one of the candid pictures that was uh, around. So how many students were in your high school, Matthew? These are things I don't know off the top of my head, and I don't know why 50 years after you graduated, you still know how many fucking people were in your high school. I just know I had Wait. to go there for five, for four fucking years and suffer through it. Um, <laughs> 50 Jesus years? You think, okay, you think I was in high school 50 years ago? Wow. No, I was being especially insulting because <laughs> you're just not fucking letting this go. And yes, your high school was bigger than mine, David. Yes, okay. it was. All right, just had to, as, long as, as long as I win, that's all that matters. Lord. <laughs> oh, yeah. So later in the episode, we now are, uh, I guess they're in the living room looking through the photo albums, um, Natalie talking about her unpublished works, uh, but in the meantime, doing interesting things, talking about the fact that she's working and not going to college. Scaling smelt, laying road tar, slinging hash. Okay, these are a couple of new things on this list. We, we know that laying road tar, she probably was helping Snake do that when she was on the road crew, but... We, I don't think we heard about smelting or slinging cash as far as cooking, but uh, yeah, Tootie talks about her acting and then they find a picture of Roger and they're like, oh my God, this is Roger, remember that? Um, uh, and then they say, remember that storm? That's right, <laughs> Nancy, you answered the door thinking it was Roger, but it was a horse. <laughs> we, do, we have a, do we have a clip? No? We're not gonna, no, no, okay, all right, moving on. Why though when they show a clip of the horse coming into the dorm from that episode? It must've been for time. When they started making this a clip show, it should have been an hour long show because another storyline mm -hmm. was Andy was so excited about meeting Cindy and he never comes back. He doesn't meet anybody. So I think these are things no. that probably got, just got cut because it is a weird, they set it up. Like let's see a horse come into the dorm and we don't see it. So I think mm -hmm. it was cut for time. And I also think that this was exciting literally only for us. Like at the time when this episode aired, the audience was like, who the fuck are these girls? <laughs> no, I, I agree. It was probably like, so were these girls like they could have brought in three girls that we had never seen before. It would have been like, is it? Hmm. Do we? Oh, oh, they were on the show. They these are actually the same ones. Wow. Yeah. So this begins the potential fabricated conflict between Sue Ann and Joe, where they talk about the the thing and the horse, and they don't go away to the clip. And Joe says, "So what happened?" And Sue Ann's like, "Oh, you had to be there." And uh, that will come back in just a minute. Um, so then the next thing that's important to the quote unquote plot of this is that Sue Ann is talking about how very successful she is in corporate America and how she's moving up the chain. And she says, Cindy, I wish you, we knew you were a model. Our company was looking for a fresh face for a new campaign and we couldn't find one anywhere. So they flew me to Sweden first class. And so it's like, so you're, you're in fa fashion? cosmetics, marketing, advertising. There's just this, um, oh, oh, Sue Ann, you corporate person, you. How great that you're a corporate worker lady. I had made notes about that particular uh, exchange. Um, I think my main takeaway there, 
um, yes, they're being very vague about what exactly it is that Suad's company does. Later, we find out it seems to involve uh, coffee and donuts. But um, my main takeaway from watching this discussion was in 1980, they made the exact right choices of who to keep and who not to keep as far as delivery yes. of lines go. <laughs> Get out of my brain, dude. I was going to, I had that later somewhere in the thing, but wow, for the, yeah, the dramistical. I love, uh, like I care about her so much. She was my favorite when I was nine, but the line delivery on all of that was just so like, uh, just <laughs> hitting us over yeah. the head with how many different uh, things you can say in one tone of voice. The next scene Blair is taking the girls through the store and she's showing them over our heads, showing them some of the merch, which is kind of nice. This is a nice way to say this is our life now. This is what we do in addition to school and all that. So James, this is the first time we have you here and over our heads. Uh, would you like to talk a little bit about the store and uh, what feelings it might have evoked? Okay, well, I loved Edna's edibles. When they built that set, when we first saw it, mm -hmm. I would want to go there. I would want to work there. I loved it. Uh, when they redid the store, uh, I was a teenager when those episodes were on. And of course, I mean, it's a giant Spencer Gifts. I would have also loved shopping there. Now, as an adult looking back, I can't believe they did that to her store. I'll never forget Mrs. Garrett's line. After the fire, she's trying to act everything's okay. And the moment she's alone, she says, my shop, my beautiful, beautiful shop. And every time I see over our heads, I just hear that those words in my head. I agree with her. What did they do to her beautiful Edna's edible? That was just an incredible store she had. So now on this tour, after the previous conversation, suddenly out of nowhere, Suena's like, oh, and uh, I don't have my business cards yet, but I've just been promoted to vice president. And they're all like, oh my God, that's great. And how did you find out about that between the living room and here? Is that, well, oh, okay. But uh, anyway. Remember when uh, um, Romy and Michelle and Romy and Michelle's high school reunion, she says, <laughs> hey, if anybody needs to make a call, I've got a phone and everyone just stares at her blankly. It's kind of the same feeling yeah. here. Hey guys, we invented post-its. <laughs> <laughs> I am now a vice president since the living room. Yeah. And uh, she mentions their big seller was Afternoon Fawn, which had been her suggestion. That was part of the reason why she's moving up the corporate ladder so fast. And then Joe is like, well, what is Afternoon Fawn? I think she says, what the hell is Afternoon Fawn? <laughs> Joe swears. And One of the seven times a curse word was uttered on the facts of life. Joe, the kids from the streets using her potty mouth. <laughs> Well, Suyen describes it as, well, it's a brownish, topish, beigey hue. It's half a shade lighter than Twilight Mink. Well, it's kind of, uh, well, never mind, Joe. You had to be there. And she just, dis she just disclosed the palette of the fucking 80s. <laughs> a beigey taupe, like, ugh, it was- Brownish, taupey, beigey, yeah. <laughs> people don't, people underestimate how very brown the 80s yeah. were. Mm-hmm. For those who watch the syndicated version, there is a little interchange here and a, a flashback clip that is taken out of the syndicated version. And it's the point when Sue Ann is starting to say, 
as she explains the color, you, you had to be there. And at that point, uh, now cut from the episode, Joe says, again? And Serena's like, uh, pardon me? And suddenly the girls are standing off in a clump, looking at the two of them like, oh no, there's an awkward moment happening here. And Tootie's like, hey girls, <laughs> we're just here to get together again and have fun, you know? And then Blair says, and Sue Ann, you don't want to mess with Joe. And Joe, you don't want to mess with Sue Ann. <laughs> Flashback to season one, episode 11 called Running, where if you recall, Sue Ann and Cindy are fighting and start to come to blows. And as Mrs. Garrett and Mr. Bradley are pulling the girls away from each other, Sue Ann swings a punch and accidentally punches Blair in the eye. So the clip goes to the moment when Blair is sitting in her room, looking in the mirror at her big, ugly purple shiner and trying to figure out how to put makeup on it to cover it up. And she is surrounded by Tootie, 10 year old Kim Fields on her roller skates, looking like a child. Could you get over how young she looked? <laughs> and also in this scene is Molly. And so it's like, oh, interesting. And come to think of it, Mrs. Garrett was in that flashback with Joe and Blair that we already saw. Charlotte Ray is not credited for appearing in this episode, even in the end credits, nor is Molly Ringwald appearing. And Molly is in two clips, this being the first. Uh, so it's just the two of them talking to Blair about, you know, what to do and making jokes about, <laughs> she really cold cocked you. <laughs> and then when we come back from the clip, this is, uh, I think, missing from syndication. Somebody says, too bad Molly couldn't come. And Tootie says, I called her mom, but mom said she was really busy, very busy. And someone says, well, what's she doing now? And they all go, I have no idea. I thought it was well delivered. They didn't hit it too hard. Yeah, the way we say on the podcast, they cut Molly Ringwald in season one. Whatever happened to her anyway? <laughs> Uh, but just to contextualize things, this is 1986, the fall of 86. Uh, Molly Ringwald left the Facts of Life and appeared in a few movies, 16 Candles in 1984, Breakfast Club in 1985, and Pretty in Pink came out in February of 86. So she is three big John Hughes movies into her career. She's kind of uh, almost at the peak of her career, you could argue, even though we still have the pickup artist for Keeps, Betsy's Wedding coming up. But if you think of the, the, the one, two, three punch of 16 Candles, Breakfast Club, and Pretty in Pink, those were arguably the movies for which she was, those are the movies that you could argue she's still most famous for today, wouldn't you? And, yeah. Is there anything else I'm missing? And the demographic for this particular show that we're watching, like that was... Those were our movies. That was huge. So, oh, yeah, totally. She had also done that. Uh, there was a TV movie called Surviving, which I think was with Rob Lowe. It's about teen suicide, I think. And that had just been on that fall. So she was just mm -hmm. hitting it like one after the other there. Um, yeah. So at this point, Molly Ringwald is a big, young movie star so for them to make the joke about oh I wonder what she's so busy with and i'm just shrugging going oh <laughs> that is an attempt at some ironical humor and uh i applaud it i thank them for including that and not pretending like she didn't ever exist which i would not put it past them to have done and like they did with pumpy yes 
where was Tumpy in the reunion <laughs> show, really? So then as they're talking about Molly, Blair says, remember the time we short sheeted her bed? And they're all like, nah. And Joe is like, what happened? You wish someone had said, we short sheeted her bed. <laughs> uh, instead, that's where Sue Ann says the second. It's hard to explain, Joe, you. And then Joe repeats it and parrots it with Sue Ann at the same time. Yeah, yeah, had to be there. Yeah, okay, I get it. All right, I'm out of here, guys. I still got to go work on my paper. Peace out, bitches. And Joe leaves. So they basically combined those two, you had to be there's, eliminating this clip. And that's what you see in syndication. So there was this little extra moment of Joe and Sue Ann kind of sort of butting heads, but it's really very fabricated, imposed conflict. And uh, I feel like I just watched the whole thing. And especially after that scene, when she left, I was like, this is I I, this was a, a choice that Joe made to be this way. The, the, the girls are, are showing up for a reunion with their friends. And if they're going to write it that Joe doesn't know them, then it's her choice to be all standoffish. Beverly Ann's meeting them for the first time. And she's standing there talking and engaging and, and being interested. I just didn't like that this was Joe's, the choice that they made Joe's character take. Mm-hmm. Like, like Joe's not that person anymore. I get, I don't know. I just, like the whole time I was like, Joe, this is your fault that this is awkward. It's your home. You are welcoming these bitches who got fired, by the way. Oh, she's... <laughs> see, I don't think Joe's being that terrible. I think it's that they're, they're, they are really excluding her. And this next short scene, which in my eyes, this could have been the scene that could have been eliminated from syndication. It's just a short scene in the bedroom where Joe is like, well, I'm going off to the library to finish my term paper. And Blair does say, we don't mean to leave you out. We're just excited about seeing each other. And Joe says, and that's fine. You guys catch up. I'll go hit the books and we'll all be happy. There there doesn't seem to be that much malice from Joe in this scene. She's just like, okay, well, clearly y'all catching up to do. And clearly you don't know me and I never met them before. So I'll just leave you to it. I'm not Um, saying my choice would be different. I'm just saying I wish that they had, like, if this would happen to me, I'd be the biggest bitch in the room. I'd be like, (laughs) I'm out. I don't Mm -hmm. care about any of you people. But (laughs) um, I just, I don't know. I wish they would have. I wanted it to be happier, I guess. And I would have, I think maybe they should have made Beverly Ann the one that felt left out because she had no memory of any of these people or something. But I don't know. I just. I like that idea a lot. And here's my thing. Why did we have to have this conflict at all? Why couldn't it have just been the girls are back and we're just going to go to this next scene, which is a slumber party. And it's joyful. I love this next scene where they're just hanging out in their PJs and eating and playing uh, awful generic television pop music and, uh, and just reminiscing and have it be more clips. I would have loved that. If it had just been that, I don't see why they felt the need to have there be conflict. The episode could have been them, including Joe. Joe saying, well, what happened with the horse during the the rainstorm? And have him say, oh my God, you didn't tell her? Well, dot, 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 and then go to the clip. That would have been lovely. We, you know, we would have loved it, uh, us today. But (sighs) anyway, let's move on to the slumber party where 
Tootie comes out of the new bedroom that was just built two weeks ago. James, I had forgotten that they had taken this attic, which is adjacent to the bedroom, not above, not on a different level, but they made this other separate bedroom within a bedroom for Tootie and Natalie. It's there, it's functioning. And I did not remember that. So I'm assuming this is all the way through the end of the series. It is there in the first time when Natalie comes home and tells Tootie, uh, Snake and I did it. It is in this bedroom, this smaller bedroom, which we, we, we don't see the inside of here, but we do see the inside of later. So among the girl talk that they're having in this slumber party, uh, it's Nancy, what are you gonna wear on your wedding night? And she's like, oh, you know, the, the, nothing but a smile if she knows that, which gives us a flashback to season one, episode 10, adoption. <laughs> when Blair was doing her stupid family tree through fashion and Warner Fashion, whatever the fuck that company was before it became uh, Warner Textiles, uh, accidentally sent Blair this carton of sexy lingerie that all the girls are like ooing over, including Tootie going, this is kinky. <laughs> oh, nothing like seeing a 10 year old using the word kinky and oh yeah. Anyway, well, nothing like watching a 10 year old hold up a, a teddy up to themselves, for God's <laughs> sake. It's like, yeah, okay, like, <clears throat> yeah, girl power. So, when we come back from this flashback, we get more Sue Ann. I think marriage can be a trap, especially for us career women. I say, <laughs> first make your mark and then try and find some guy who can deal with it. At which point, Tootie's like, come on, where's your sense of romance? Nancy is about to become Mrs. Roger Butler. Go on her honeymoon and experience one of life's most beautiful mysteries. And then Nancy says, uh, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. Yeah, it is beautiful, but it's not a mystery anymore. And then Blair, good one-liner, let me guess, the butler did it. Ha-ha! <laughs> Did we know Roger's last name was Butler? I looked no. back and I don't think we've ever given Roger a last name till now. No, definitely not. Roger existed in season one. They've been dating then for seven years. And this is a big, wait, what? That was ninth grade, right? The first year. Ninth grade, yeah. And it's like, so she's been dating Roger for seven years. Now they're finally getting married. And this is like a, what? You guys are fucking what pretty sure they had then, hinted that that was already happening back in season one or two that she had made remarks totally like, well, there's no other way to take this yeah they're talking about blair says the history of my family was supposed to be through fashion not this stuff this is a mistake and nancy holds up one of the 90s in front of her and says well i know roger and i could certainly make some history in this it's like yeah they were sexualizing the girls way 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 back when and yeah, there were totally implications in the, um, in the sex education episode that Roger was already pressuring Nancy and that she had might've even given in to him just to don't <laughs> stop bugging her about it. Um, they really did act like she just said, I have AIDS when, <laughs> she, when, she, when she said that, like they all looked at her like, what what and the fact that i really wish she had said well it was mysterious but i can't say it was beautiful 
Like, oh. I wish they would have twisted that joke around. The, the, <laughs> I, like, I would. That would have been, yeah. Their reactions to her news were equivalent to if that had been her, her revelation. It was just everything yeah. stops. The clock stopped. And everything. then Sue Ann, our feminist here, our, you know, ball busting girl power girl here is like, ah, this is the 80s. It's not a big deal if two people jump the gun on their wedding night. Right, Nancy? Jump the gun on the way. This is the 80s. Oh, yeah, we're still talking about a wedding night and how girls are supposed to be pure. And uh, uh, we thought the 80s were such this time of feminism. And it is insane how uh, particularly TV was still perpetuating this of, well, we could give her a pass because they're going to get married anyway. And then Nancy says, but there are consequences. I'm three months pregnant. And the audience, oh, actually, I should have. This is where I put AIDS. <laughs> well, Not- I, I, she might as well, the way they reacted, she might as well said there are consequences. I'm three months pregnant and I'm not going through with it. Or so, the way they reacted yeah. was like, she was like, get me the knitting needle right now. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Or it would have been, there are consequences. Uh, I have cervical cancer or something because we didn't get our HPV shot or <laughs> cancer. That's hilarious. I know. It definitely needs to be an hour long episode if you're going to do that. <laughs> but that's just it. You would have thought she had said, I I'm dying. Like it was like, this is the end of the world. Like, Oh my God. You well, fucked. she says, she does say she's like, now I can't have a career. Yeah. What? This is not an episode written by women for women. Uh, this no. was not a girl power episode at all. And no. it disappointed me a little bit in that. Like, and I, mm, so. The, and why couldn't was, she have said when they went like, you know, well, guys, it's not a mystery anymore. She's like, Roger and I have been together for seven years. If you think we're not doing stuff, come on, you know? But again, you know what I love when you refer to a baby as a consequence? Exactly. A consequence of your impure whoreness. I mean, what the fuck, facts of life? Man, oh man. This is what happens to whores who sleep with men before they're married. Yeah, men that they've been with for seven years. I really liked Blair's piece of advice to Nancy here when she's talking about how, you know, I I wanted to go to college. I was maybe a psychiatrist. Um, And she Mm -hmm, said, by the time I practice, I'd be 36. And Blair just says, well, you're going to be 36 someday anyway. Might as well just go for it. Mm as someone who's in their second career that they weren't expecting, like, I really appreciate that advice. I thought just nice little piece. That's what I'll take away from the episode. I thought that was Blair's a good friend. I agree. That was, that was great. Yeah. Yeah. We know babies usually fuck up your life, but it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, So speaking of your unexpected second career, James, uh, we're at commercial right now. We've already talked about your background and uh, your, uh, how you came to be an educator of theater, your background in high school drama stuff. And I think you had already, when did you open Penguin Point Theatre? So I opened in 2019. And um, so we definitely talked about Iona performing arts school and community theater at Oviedo Mall. 
and then the pandemic right. started. And since that time, <laughs> and, then the, and then the pandemic started. So what do you do? And you have done the most fascinating thing where you suddenly announced that you opened up your own vintage shop. Would you, would you talk a bit about uh, this store and what and why you decided to name it what it is? So I had opened a costume shop first and um, I had more costumes and props than we could fit in the available space at Penguin Point Costumes. And uh, one of my friends was in our storage room and said, you should take all this stuff and open a vintage store. And she was just kidding, but the Champs Sporting Goods store in the mall closed and the space was empty. So I talked to the mall manager and we opened uh, Ducky's Vintage. So it's all my leftover props and costumes. And now it's donations coming in. We're a nonprofit and uh, raising money for our education and community theater stuff at the mall. So um, it's kind of working both ways, but it's Ducky's Vintage. It's uh, from Ducky Dale and Pretty in Pink. There's your Molly Ringwald uh, tie in there. Molly Ringwald reference, full circle Oprah moment. We opened and in it, you have some commissioned art, like light box art and great all 80s themed everything, including an image of Lisa Welchel. That is true. There is a beautiful portrait of Lisa Welchel that uh, my friend Sean Robinson uh, actually painted for me and then we had turned into art for the store. Um, there's, a, there's a good deal of facts of life in there if you walk around a little bit. We also, uh, last oh, week- I noticed, opened, oh yes. <laughs> we opened a new store in the mall. It's called Olivia Neutron Bomb. And it's, um, it's also a resale store, but it's all modern stuff. Um, in Duckies, we have a huge record section. We have thousands of uh, vinyl records for sale. In Olivia Neutron Bomb, we only sell Olivia Neutron, sorry, Olivia Newton John records, but we also have a full <laughs> range of modern furniture and modern clothing down there. And again, all this goes to benefit the theater and community theater and uh, education programs. And so that's also part of the not for profit? Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, when you said you had something else in the works and it was called Olivia Neutron Bomb, I thought you were going to branch off and just make that the records because you have such a section of records. You you have the inventory where you could just open a record store. I don't know if that's, that's definitely uh, in, in the future. I would say we'll have a separate record store. Um, we have an art gallery in the mall as well. And just as more space becomes available, I, I would love to open a, a separate record store. But for now, the records are mm -hmm. duckies. Well, all of it is at Oviedo Marketplace and also at Duckies. There's a little bit of a performance space. Yes. And there's also a, uh, 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 is it Ms. Pac-Man or Pac-Man tabletop? You will Ms. be so disappointed to know that we sold the Ms. Pac-Man. I will work on getting a new <laughs> one, but uh, Ms. Pac-Man sold. It paid the, for the uh, month, so I don't regret it at all. No, I do not begrudge you selling that. <laughs> but as we were walking around, you know, Steve Miller, my best friend, he's a big vinyl record collector. So when he saw the amount of vinyl you had, and that was before this latest uh, windfall you got, holy shit, the new collection that you posted pictures of. Oh, my God. But Steve was like, oh, David, I got to go through these records, meaning <laughs> we may be here a while. And I was like, okay, I'll load that. And I looked over and saw the tabletop. Ms. Pat. I was like, dude, take as long as you want. I am not moving from this spot. And I played Ms. Pac-Man and I was 17 again. And in the decor of the store, the whole vintage feel, uh, part of me is kind of like, uh, I could see this almost as uh, your spin on and over our heads. Definitely. Uh, I have a lot more sympathy for the design of over our heads. Um, now that I own my own uh, 
kind of flashy uh, vintage shop. So <laughs> yeah, I still like conveniently opened better, it. But. Yeah, like you said, your vintage shop was a sporting goods place, so you are able to utilize a lot of what was there. Oh, yeah. And the living neutron bomb is in a. It's a Victoria's Secret. <laughs> Everything is pink. <laughs> so how perfect is that? How perfect. So I highly recommend anyone of my tens of listeners, if you can get to the Oviedo marketplace, there is so much fun stuff to be seen. Such a uh, trip down memory lane. And I've not been to a living neutron bomb yet, but I cannot wait to, to see it and go back to Duckies. Thank you. Uh, I told Philip Nolan uh, we would be taking him there because he did not know about these at all. And I was like, you need to go. Do we need to explain to our listeners what a mall was? (laughs) Fuck a duck. No. No. Just real quick. I mean, you've used the word several (laughs) times. And I'm guessing if they watched Facts of Life, they probably know what a mall is. But yeah, I. You're okay. I had a. I had a friend post the other day that she was watching a movie with her kids and it, it like it wasn't even a major part of the story but she goes the only thing that they are focused on is the concept of a mall that's what they couldn't get through their brain yeah they're like wait where are they and you're like they're in the mall and they're like what but wow wow that's so upsetting so let's get back to the show. We're talking about uh, Nancy and this fucking baby that's going to screw up everything. Natalie does say to Sue Ann that she's jealous of all that she's doing and all that she's accomplished. And Sue Ann says, well, I thought you were happy with all these odd jobs you do. And Natalie's like, I thought I was too, but now more and more, I'm wondering if that's the best way to become a writer. <laughs> Weird terminology. Can you really learn about life just by living it? And so Tootie's like, oh, we're kind of spilling our guts. Let's get some honesty. Uh, So um, let's do some more confessions. And uh, she says to Nancy, you know what? Back at Eastland, I had the biggest crush on Roger. And Natalie says, yeah, me too. And she is followed by both Sue Ann and Cindy, who all admit they had crushes on Roger. So Nancy turns to Blair and says, et tu, Blair? And Blair says, no. And I was like, wait a goddamn minute. (laughs) I felt like that was the one moment where maybe the writers did have a clue. And Blair also had a clue. It was just like, there's that long pause before she says, I have a confession. I'm not a real blonde. And that could have been, I have a confession. I totally had an affair with your boyfriend while we were in New York. And she didn't say it, but I felt it. I felt it in that moment. I know you're not giving it to them, but we can disagree on that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're not necessarily going to disagree, but the thing that, of course, comes into my brain is season two, episode nine called Gossip. That's the one where Blair and the girls were going on some type of a field trip in New York, and Blair was planning to sneak out of the hotel to meet Roger behind Nancy's back. So I, Matthew is making a lewd and crude (laughs) gesture that I will not. They were just doing hand stuff back then, though. <laughs> they were just doing hand stuff. Well, no, they weren't even doing that. Later, when Nancy finds out and confronts Blair about it, what we learn is that Roger has tickets to Barishnikov, and Blair is really just using him 
to take her to see Barishnikov because she loves him so much. And you know, Blair, hard to scrape together money for tickets like that when you only make $10,000 a month in uh, allowance from your rich dad. So there had to be a little something interest about Roger, but Blair passed it off that she was just interested in the Barishnikov thing. Matthew's making another lewd gesture in, implying size of length and girth of something, and I don't know what it is. And that's, um, I, I, Matthew, I'm just gonna have to dismiss that and move on. So I do have to back off. My initial thing was, no, Blair had a crush on Roger. She was gonna meet him, blah, blah. And when I look back, it's like, nah, she kind of was just being a flirt and a tease and using him for the Brishnikov tickets. I, I think it is okay that Blair says she doesn't really have a crush on Roger. It would have been nice if Nancy had said, yeah, that's, that's not what you said when you were gonna sneak off to New York to be with him, but whatever. Anyway. Um, then we go to Cindy about being envious of her being a cover girl. And Cindy mentions, well, I can't eat anything because I always have to be skinny. That gets us to a flashback of season one, episode seven called Dieting. And that's when Blair uh, convinced Sue Ann to go on a diet. Sue Ann wasn't eating. The flashback clip is where Sue Ann agrees to start eating. Blair brings her some rice pudding and Sue Ann pushes Blair's face into the pudding. Whoa. <sighs> anyway. So first of all, they're making a joke out of the anorexia episode. That was one of my... Thank you. In the anorexia you. episode, you'll notice she has promised to eat the food. She does not eat the food. She smashes it into another girl's face. And at no point does she eat any of it. So she may still be struggling with the same thing. But by all means, it's a good quick joke for the end of our episode here. So go for it. Yeah. I find anorexia hilarious myself, but... Um, you are right. You are so right. So then Sue Ann being the only one left to make a confession. And she says, well, I haven't been completely honest. I said they were paying me 60 grand. They're only paying me 50. And Natalie says, well, why doesn't that make me feel better? In 2021 dollars, ladies and gentlemen, 60 grand is $151,000. 50 grand is $126,000. And this is the point when you're like, we, uh, what the, we're, we're the, the lady doth protest too much. Sue Ann, you can shut up about this, this corporate nebulous job that we don't know quite what the fuck it is that you do that they're promoting you and paying you a lot of money for. But it is in the next scene that the revelation is made. Joe comes into the living room, can hear the girls having fun upstairs. Beverly Ann is like, yeah. It hurts to be around people who all have fond memories and you don't have any memories of them at all. And Beverly Ann says she does miss her friends in Appleton in the old days. And she says she even sometimes misses Frank, her ex-husband. And a weird cut from the syndicated episode. Uh, Beverly Ann says, sometimes in the middle of the night, I'll see Frank's face. And then what is cut is, the tag to that is, and I see my fist going into his face. And I'm like, that's a good joke and impeccably delivered by, uh, by Cloris Leachman. And I'm like, what a weird thing to cut out the punchline in the interest of time for those few seconds. They couldn't yeah. have cut something else instead. And huh? do, I, do we eventually meet Frank and he's Dick Van Patten? Am I right about that? Correct. Mm -hmm. That happened yet? Did I miss that? 
That's the end of this season. That does oh, happen. Spoiler, sorry. Yeah, X marks the spot, I believe, is the name of that episode. And that's late in this season. Um, but then this kind of nice bonding moment, I agree with you. It is nice to have this moment with Beverly Ann and Joe. And Joe, speaking to Beverly Ann about her missing her friends in her life in Appleton, Joe does say, well, you're here with us now. And Beverly Ann says, you're right. And I'm growing on you. Don't you think, right? I'm, I'm growing on you, right? And before, <laughs> I, I don't even remember how the scene ends, but there's kind of this, again, like, uh, let me get back to you on that, Beverly Ann. Let's see how the season ends, ends up and pans out by the time we get to the end of season eight, huh? So then Sue Ann comes down later, Joe sleeping on the couch because she doesn't want to interrupt the slumber party. And Sue Ann gets on the phone to a girl named Joni and says, can you cover me at the office? All you have to do is bring the donuts and make sure the coffee urn is full. And then she realizes Joe can hear her. The lie has been discovered. And Sue Ann's explanation is that I was always the smartest one. Everyone signed my yearbook, girl most likely to zoom to the top. I couldn't come back here and only admit that I'm only a gopher. And Joe was like, well, why? Everyone has to start out somewhere. And Sue Ann says, the girls upstairs are very special to me and I want them to be proud of me. I want them to be proud that I'm their friend and I don't want to disappoint them. And Joe says, but lying to them? And she says, well, you may not agree with handling how I'm handling this, but that's my choice. So I suppose you're going to tell them. And then she goes upstairs and that's the weird to the end of the scene. So anyway, then we get to the final scene of the episode. The girls have their goodbyes and they're saying, you know, off you go. And it was so great to see you again. And at one point, Sue Ann's like, so uh, <laughs> where's Joe? And they're like, oh, well, she had to go to the library to finish her paper, whatever. And she's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that, that's cool. Great. In the so she's not here and she's not going to give me up and tell you I've been lying to you. And then in a very nice moment, I have to give credit to this. Natalie says, "Guys, it's been so great seeing you. I'm even rethinking maybe going back to school," which she does next season, right? Natalie goes to Langley to actually study writing. Am I correct? So, yeah. So then finally, Sue Ann. Natalie basically saying, Sue Ann, you've inspired me to, to, to aim higher and know that. That's where Sue Ann, best trope from every afternoon um, after school special. I think they said it in every episode of Strangers with Candy. Sue Ann goes, guys, I've got something to say. Oh, that line, bless. And then she says, I was talking to Joe last night. It's time I told you the truth about myself. And so as Sue Ann starts to say that she has been lying and she's not really a big successful corporate ladder climber, Joe interrupts her and covers for her and says, hey, Sue Ann, you know, it's not that big a deal. So they didn't fly to Sweden first class. Who cares? And Sue Ann is kind of like, you're not going to give me up to the girls. Wow. Like this moment of, I'm, I'm going to help you lie and that will bond us closer together. <laughs> Matt, Matthew was nodding vehemently. What did you think of this moment? No, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly what it was. 
they agreed to lie rather than have her turn and say, a good friend told me that the truth is the most important thing. You know, they, they, uh, didn't, get, they didn't go there. So that's so they what they would have done too. You know, that's what it would have been. So then the sort of final um, moment before the girls leave is Blair says, I thought the two of you weren't getting along, you know, in that very brief, awkward moment that was cut from the syndicated version of this episode. And now you're chatting. What did you two talk about? And Joe turns and says, you had to be there. Oh, <laughs> call back, biatch. And then the, no, Matthew is making a, <laughs> a scissoring movie with his finger. I don't even know what you're talking about, Matthew. Mm-hmm. I think Sue Ann had an awakening after that <laughs> phone call. Wanted to tell you the truth about myself after I had a long talk with Joe on the couch in the middle of the night last night. That's why it didn't really make sense because I guess they cut it out and she walked up the stairs and goes, I guess you're going to tell everybody. <laughs> so. Unless there's something I could do to convince you to not. So then after the girls leave, we're just left with our girls, Blair Joe, Tootie, Natalie, and Beverly Ann. And Tootie says, in this, this moment, I love, 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 love. Tootie says, I wonder what I'll be like at our reunion, wondering about her future self. And no joke at the end of the episode. This is an earnest ending where Natalie says, well, one thing that will remain the same, whatever happens to us, we'll always be a part of each other's lives, won't we? And they all look around and nod, freeze frame, roll credits. And she's right. They still are. Beautiful. So here we are at the end of the episode. Overall thoughts, guest James Brendlinger, go. So I thought that uh, if you can excuse all the, the story moments that were unnecessary and you know historically incorrect, it had some nice moments for characters getting together like, the Joe and Beverly Ann conversation. I think it, you know, if there's any real continuity, that would be a nice turning moment in their relationship for Joe to realize, hey, you guys make Beverly Ann feel like this every single day. Maybe you should think about it a little oh. bit. I thought that was nice. And again, I don't know if there's actually continuity like that built in, but that would be a turning moment if there was. I think you're right. The ending was lovely. That was just a nice moment between those girls. I don't think I said this earlier. I think Mindy Cohn is at her most beautiful in this specific episode. Like this is Mindy Cohn at her most like self-confident and powerful. And, you know, I, I thought the the story beats about her, maybe I'll go back to college because of you, Sue Ann. I'm ignoring that. But just as she's talking about the things she's doing, she's got a light inside her. I love Mindy Cohn, but I thought she was, especially in this episode, really just beautiful and strong. And loving the red hair love yeah, she, she looks terrific natalie being a redhead now and yeah all right final thoughts matthew i think this is one of the bravest episodes oh jesus christ i think that it's very very brave for let's face it a mediocre tv show to do a flashback episode that says hey remember when the show was even worse <laughs> 
And that takes cojones. That does. Okay, you won me over. I didn't know where you were going with that. I was skeptical. And Matthew, you are the teller of truths right now, my friend. (laughs) But I've loved being able to stare at James Brenlinger's face for the past two hours. So, oh, well, it's it's always any time you can spend staring at James Brenlinger's face is time well spent in my book. Thank you so much for having me, guys. This was a lot of fun. And again, thank you for remembering this was a, an episode I especially wanted to do. Um, I'm glad I got to talk about it with you. Well, I hope we lived up to your expectations and hopes <laughs> for wanting to do the episode. We will definitely have you back very, very soon. Thank and you. And until then, my darling, smooches and goodbye. Thank you. there you have it. That was James Brendlinger. Two points I forgot to make. First was that when Beverly Ann is introduced to the girls as Mrs. Garrett's sister, she does say, I'm Edna's younger sister, her much younger sister. So we don't know if that's just a (laughs) pretending to be younger vanity thing, but uh, it could be. This is our first hint that, at the very least, she is the younger sister to Mrs. Garrett, keeping in mind that Cloris Leachman is younger than Charlotte Ray by eight days. The other thing that I did kind of fact check and go back to was, in the Facts of Life Live, Jason Bateman does say that I'm going steady with this girl, Amanda, now, not Cynthia, like in the original script. I just half-heartedly tossed off, I don't know if that's the name of his wife or something, Guess what? That is Jason Bateman's wife's name, actress and producer Amanda Anka. They've been married since 2001, and as of this recording at the end of 2021, they have two daughters, ages 15 and 9. So there it is. Next week, Matthew and I are going to be watching Season 8, Episode 8, The Ratings Game. You can watch the show ahead of time at dailymotion.com. I will post links in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. That is all for now. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.